So let's, let's uh, continue. And uh, two quick reminders. Number one, just because we finished that topic for a week does not mean that you can no longer practice it. Right? Right? So you're still allowed to continue and encouraged to continue learning to relinquish control this coming week. Uh, but secondly, um, we do have little packets. They're on the outside table, little, little booklets that we have for each week if you want to journal about each topic that we're going through. So we dive into this one this week. There's a story in Mark 9. I'm going to tell a lot of little short stories tonight, or this morning. <laughs> if it goes to tonight, we have a problem. Um, and it's in, it's in Mark 9, and Jesus is... Um, He's doing all sorts of powerful healing movements. There's, there's been a crowd that's starting to gather around him. He's sending his disciples out. They're doing amazing things. Um, but anyways, there's, there's this, this experience where Jesus, um, he sees this, this kid, and, and he asks what's going on. And the, um, the kid's father says, I've got this son, and he's, he's been, essentially, he's been possessed by, by an unclean spirit, and it's been He's, he's been tortured his whole childhood. He can't control his body. It throws him around. And Jesus asks all these questions. And this, it's just heartbreaking to read about this, this boy who has been suffering for so long. And, uh, and the man cries out for help. And, um, and Jesus willingly says, yes, absolutely. I will, uh, I will, I will speak into this. And, and uh, in the middle of the story, he, he heals the boy. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And then there's a little backdoor conversation that happens between his disciples. And we find out that Jesus was playing second string on this actual effort because the disciples had already encountered this kid and they had been able to do lots of wonderful things and they couldn't heal him. And they say, when they're out of earshot, because I'm sure it was embarrassing, they said to Jesus, why can't we heal this kid? Why couldn't we? We tried. We've been able to do lots of things. You've given us power. You've given us, you know. And, and Jesus looks at them, and he says this. This kind can only come out by prayer. And there's a really interesting part of this story. And the really interesting part of the story, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with it, but in the entire narrative that we get with Jesus, there's one thing that's missing. Jesus never prays. So he heals the guy, and then he tells his disciples, this one was especially challenging because it was so, this, this, this was so deeply rooted that it can only come out with prayer. But Jesus never prays. He never says the right 30-second words. But yet he says this kind only comes out through prayer. So what are we to make of a statement like that as we lean into a subject about prayer? I think one of the things, I'm glad you asked, um, I think one of the things that we need to understand is that when we talk about prayer, and we talk about it a lot, or at least it's a part of our conversations a lot. We need to understand that when, when, we, when we speak of prayer and read of prayer in the scriptures and encounter Jesus, what we are talking about is not a short segment of time where certain words are used. That is just an example and a glimpse. We are talking about a pervasive spirit that is so deeply in touch with God all the time that there is communion. It doesn't mean that we don't say or ask. But it means that it's a posture, not just an activity that you relegate to before meals or when something's really like hard going on or during morning devotions. Okay, so, so when we lean into this, um, we need to understand that Jesus is talking about a way of life. Now, uh, you know the, the quip of Mark Twain where he says, uh, everyone talks about the weather but nobody ever does anything about it? 
we kind of approach prayer in the same way within God's church. Often prayer is talked about a lot. You know, pray for you. You know, we've got to pray, whatever the case. But often people don't lean into what it means and taking it seriously and doing something about it. And I'm specifically talking, we, we often talk about contemplative practices because they're really important to center on Jesus within our spirit, to be silent and still. But I'm talking about active prayer a little bit more today because we haven't talked about that. So I'm talking about leaning into things like intercession, deeply praying for others, giving God the longings of our own hearts, all right? And if we're honest, we have very, very few uh, positive connotations about it, right? If I invite you to come with me for a two-day prayer retreat, there'd be a lot of like, yeah, sounds great. Uh, is, is there water skiing, though? You know, like, like can we, like, are we going to do something fun, too? <laughs> Uh, because we just have certain conversations. It reminds me of the story where um, there was a pastor who visited, the woman, visited a woman in a hospital, and, um, and he chatted with her for a little bit, and he said, okay, let's pray. And she looked at him, and she goes, is it that bad? Right? We, we just have very few positive connotations of praying for others sometimes. Uh, and, and so, so it's especially true, I think, when, when, we, when we do that. And then, and then we have... Here we go. All sorts, and I don't have to tell most of you about this, we got all sorts of theological baggage, right? When we talk about prayer. I mean, we just established this idea of relinquishing control, and sometimes we're like, well, what do we do with prayers? Can we really control God? How horribly arrogant, right? So, so we have that, that theological challenge on one side because some people talk about just getting whatever they want from God as if we control the God of the universe. And something feels off to us, rightly so, about that. Um, but, but we've also got the times where we meaningfully prayed and there was just silence. And it was something that we can pretty much know God would have wanted, right? Like that, that God's that the kingdom, that we were praying in line with the kingdom of God, right? We're not talking about, Lord, you know, I'd, I'd love a new Mercedes. We're talking about, Lord, I have a family member that's suffering. Please bring healing. And it doesn't happen. And, and there's silence. And then we've got, then we've got the, um, the realities of abuse that have taken place in regards to scripture, or to, to prayer, and, and how people have used scripture toward that. So, so, our, our baggage lies with the fact that we have seen people wield prayer as a weapon. Um, we have been told that, that the problem with our prayers was that we did not have enough faith. And so the reason that the, the longing of our heart did not come to pass is your fault. Which really takes and, and, and warps certain passages and, and, and scriptures of, of what Jesus says. But you can, you can pull that sentence out, and boy, can you wield that thing like a baseball bat. And so, so we have these sorts of things, and then with, with that abuse is just general hurt of the moments of loss and silence. It might not have been specifically, um, specifically because of abuse, but there's other things that just leave us, leave us hurting and not mess, maybe wanting to engage in the, ne- the messiness of prayer. And so all of that, 
all of that can lead to skepticism, right? Um, and so, so what we have when we begin to talk about prayer is we have a heavy backpack that we carry with us, at least many of us do, that we need to acknowledge. And, and sometimes when, when that happens, it can feel like it can feel like we just don't know where to go or what to do with all of this, so we just best not to do much, right? Best to keep all prayer pretty much just like, Lord, I'm glad that you're with me, which is a beautiful prayer, but it's not the expanse that we get in the story of God. And so in the story of the scriptures, we can't get away that central to our, the, our own story that we find ourselves in is that not just talking to God, but crying out and asking is a part of the story of God's people and specifically the story that Jesus invites us into. In Colossians, I, I shared this with the, the gathering team that helps put our gatherings on before we started today. Um, in Colossians 4, when, when Paul is finishing his letter, the first thing he starts with when he, when he gives his final encouragement is he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Like, I've just given you all this instruction. I've just tried to help you work through problems, but devote yourselves to prayer, friends. Don't forget about that as center, and keep your eyes out for God working. The early church believed that prayer was invaluable. (laughs) That there was no questioning of if this was something that was central to what we do and who we are. So, is it possible to have both honesty here and fresh faith in trusting that prayer and particularly interceding for others and praying for others is soul-shaping, is central to our identity as people of Jesus, and is powerful? Can we hold both of these things? I think we can, and I think we have some opportunities as a church to grow in this area. Um, but it's hard and it's super messy. So I'm just going to offer kind of a bunch of simple little statements from the scriptures that we see, okay? And here's the goal in the next few minutes. It's not for you to retain all of them. It's, I mean, you can write them down by all means. But what I really want you to do is say, all right, Lord, what's the one that I need to hear and hold on to that? What's, what's the one that I'm afraid to engage with and hold on to that? Um, where, where is God stirring you to say, wow, I haven't wanted to go there for a while, but maybe it's time again. So, so that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about for just, for just a little bit. All right, so the first one, and these are very, very simple. All right, the first one is this, prayer is a mystery. Nothing else can happen until we acknowledge this. You can't get through the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the list if you think that prayer is a formula, Okay? If we think that as long as we do everything right, we get exactly from God what we're asking for. That is not the witness of the, entire, the entirety of the scriptures that culminates in Jesus. <clears throat> so so we, have to, we have to be honest enough. <clears throat> excuse me. Here we go. We have to be honest enough to understand that we can't figure this out. And maybe our goal shouldn't be to figure it out. Much like Endless theories of atonement exist. We don't have to figure out the mechanics to know that Jesus rescues us. So, so 
to believe that we've been set free. The same thing is true of prayer. We don't have to have it all figured out. And if we think we do, we actually open ourselves up to control, to abuse, and to hurt. From us to others, actually. So we get this story, which is incredible, of someone who was okay. Whoops. There we go. Someone, uh, actually a group, who were okay with the mystery. Uh, in, In the book of Daniel... You've probably heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. If you went to church as a kid, it's a great one. Um, and if you're an adult, it gets even better. Uh, but when, when you read this story, long story short, the king says, hey, you know what? I know you all like different gods. I'd prefer to be it, so I'm going to build a big tower. It's a picture of me. Please worship me. And a bunch of the Jewish people said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to keep worshiping our God. He said, yeah, that, that's not going to work in my kingdom, so I'm going to burn everybody that doesn't. And they say, we're not changing our minds. So he binds these three guys, and they build this furnace. It's so hot that the people who are building it die because of the heat. The people who are throwing the wood in die. And he gets ready, and pretty much final words, and here's what they say. They said, they looked at him, and they said to the king, They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But check this out, even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't, we want you to know we're going to be faithful. What a statement of faith. Like, we we believe that God can and and, and will act here, but, but you know what? We don't actually know, and we trust God's character beyond just the answer to this specific prayer. So we're going to continue to walk this way, come what may. And we trust that God's goodness is not negated by this lack of answer to our prayer, possibly. No, I, I have to say, no offense to these three guys, because it sounds really uncaring, but part of me wishes that it hadn't worked out, because the state of their heart was so beautiful that it would be instructive to us, instead of people saying, but, but see, it didn't matter, because God, yes, God came and rescued them in a brilliantly beautiful way. But the heart character that they had beforehand is what I want us to notice. Because they weren't trying to control God. But something beautiful happened as a result without question. Prayer is a mystery. Jesus, we're told, was unable to perform certain miracles in his hometown of Nazareth. What do you all do with that? That there were certain times where Jesus was like, I'm trying, but I can't. Nobody's taking me seriously here, and it's limiting what I feel like I can do because they're just seeing me as Joseph's kid. What do we do with those things? They're mysterious. So someone, had, someone could control or limit Jesus' power? Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know where that fits into your theology, but it's there, so it's got to be somewhere. We cannot turn this into a formula. We can't turn everything into easy answers. There are times where we just can't understand it all. How does this all work with God's working in the world and how doesn't it? It's okay to say, I don't fully grasp this. There's mystery here. Um, another thing is that prayer is a service and love to others throughout the scriptures. I, I, I think this is really important that to pray for someone is an act of service. In, uh, in, all the way in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, it's kind of a, a wild story because God leads his people and he uses uh, prophets and judges to lead them, but everybody around them has a king. Like, all the cool kids are getting kings, and so God's people start saying, please, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, and and through the the prophets, God says, you don't want a king, 
because then you're going to start acting like all of the other countries. And they say, we promise that we won't. We promise. Give us a king, please. And God says, I'm your king. And they say, we know. We get it. But this king will acknowledge that you're the king, really. But we just really want to be like everybody else. So what God does throughout the whole story of the scriptures, he sighs, he gives in, and he works with it, right? This is how God's character works. He always says, I will work with you even in your stupidity. And so what, what ends up happening is essentially Samuel says, all right, if this is what you want, this is not what God wants, but we'll give you a king. Then all these horrible things happen, and they start saying, oh my gosh, we've sinned, we, we've screwed up so much, whatever. And, and, so, and they say, please pray that God would spare us. Please pray that, that, that like he'll, God will forgive. And Samuel looks at them, and he says a whole bunch of things. And then he says, far be it for me to sin against the Lord by not praying for you. Of course I will continue to pray for you. You didn't do the right thing right here, but I, this is a part of my calling to serve you as my people. And, and you see this throughout. You see it in Paul's leadership of the early church, the calling to pray for others regardless of what they've done or what you think they deserve or whatever is an act of service and love. You serve one another when you choose to pray for them. And I think, and there's so many examples. I just thought this one was amazing because of his statement. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray. Like, it's so important to me that if I would not pray for you, I feel like that's sinning against God's heart. That's moving away from God's, God's heart. That's amazing. Interesting stuff. Here's, oh. Should we skip this one? Prayer impacts God's actions. This is where we have to embrace number one, that prayer is mystery. However, the story that we have is that prayer is indeed powerful and that there are times where God acts. Prayer, according to scriptures, prayer is a terrifying gift from God. That's what I think. That's how I interpret it. Prayer is a terrifying gift from God because God says when God creates people, I want to partner with you in the redemption of all things right, in this restoration project. And so that means that there is interaction. That means there's actually partnership. So that means that there's times where people go to God and say, Lord, we want this. Please help us. And due to that, God responds. This is the story that we have. We just are often people of very little faith. So, so in the midst of this, um, yeah, I think that we, we just need to be, to be honest. You know, Jesus wants, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, we can take that and turn it into a blanket statement that has been very damaging. We can also, on the flip side, because we've seen it abused, we've seen mystery, we can say, I'm not going to deal with that at all. So I'm, I'm just not going I'm, I'm to do anything. I'm not going to ask. And we miss out one of the gifts that Jesus gives. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting. Um, there's an archbishop from uh, the early, late, late 1800s, or early, early 1900s, William Temple, and he wrote about prayer, and he says, and he acknowledged how complicated it was, and then he said, but uh, I'll admit, coincidences happen a lot more often when I'm praying. <laughs> Maybe that's a starting point for some of you. He says, I know it's mysterious, but coincidences Coincidences happen a lot more often when I'm actively praying for something. And, and so, so I think that there's beauty in the mystery. Um, yeah. 
And, uh, and I think there's, there's also a quote from Oswald Chambers, um, again, from the early 1900s. And he talked about intercession. He said, well, what we must avoid in intercession is praying for someone to simply be patched up. We must pray that person through into contact with the very life of God. We must avoid intercession. What we must avoid is just praying for someone to be patched up. So, so he's saying that there's this temptation to just, when we want God to act, to just make it about the thing. But in reality, truly praying for someone is wanting and, and, and longing for their whole self to be able to experience God's goodness and wholeness. And so, so there's beauty in praying for, for this, this wholeness in other people's lives. All right, next up, prayer should be simple. This is a slightly easier one. Um, we don't always practice it, though. Uh, in Jesus, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and, and he says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling, right? They think they're going to be heard because of a lot of words. So don't be like them, because your, your, your father knows what you need. God knows what you need before you ask. So, so don't think that, that um, word count, right? There's, I think about that um, when I was in eighth grade, I was, uh, I was uh, in Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, um, the musical, and there's a book report scene. And is it Lucy? I think Lucy is the one. It's all about Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit is a stupid book about the stupid rabbit who sees vegetables from other people's gardens. And then she starts using the word very a hundred times in order to get the word count up. Right? Is that right? Okay. <clears throat> I think that's how it goes. And so, uh, so anyways, there's this idea that somehow if we get our word count up high enough that that, like, that chisels out God's ears. And we're reminded over and over, prayer is not about word count. It's not about being ornate. It's about simplicity. And I think we forget that sometimes when we talk to God. I have a friend who encourages people to actually sit in their living room during times of prayer and put a chair right in front of them and imagine Jesus actually sitting in that chair so that they can start talking like normal instead of getting overly spiritual. And it is a brilliant practice. If you think it sounds goofy, just try it. And all of a sudden you will find yourself actually able to have a normal conversation in prayer instead of dressing it up with all the ways that you've heard in church as a child. And there's beauty to something like that. Prayer can be simple and should be simple. Uh, Mother Teresa, the way that she would talk about praying for people, she would say, I'll remember you before Jesus. What a beautiful way to say that you'll pray for someone. I will remember you before Jesus. I'm with Jesus and I'm just remembering you and I'm placing you right here, right here with me and Jesus. And I don't have to have it figured out. I don't have all the requests just right. And that leads us to the next one, which is, uh, which is that um, we have permission to pray it wrong. Okay, this is an important one because, uh, and, and it's connected to the prayer should be simple, but we have permission to pray it wrong in the midst of deconstruction, which so many of us have been through in our faith, right? Moving away from from uh, fundamentalist approaches that offered very easy answers but didn't deal with the complexities of life and faith. Um, in, in the midst of this, maybe it's hard to figure out what am I even supposed to pray for? What's okay to pray for? And what is not what I ought to be praying for? And, and you know, like, how do, how do I deal with all of this? You know, when the cancer gets worse, do I pray for healing? Do I pray for peace? Do I just pray for closure? Closure? 
So we just choose not to really pray. Or maybe you've been told promises that you no longer believe about prayer. So because I don't know what getting it right looks like exactly, I just don't pray. But this is where we learn to trust God, friends. This is where we can trust God to receive our hearts among limited language and limited understanding. Paul writes in Romans this brilliantly, brilliantly worded passage in his letter. He says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what to pray for. We just talked about that. But the Holy Spirit prays with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Paul says we get that language is a limiting factor. God understands that. The Spirit is there being your holy translator. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit's saying. Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are all speaking the same language. So the Spirit intercedes and God gets our hearts. So, so this is so beautiful to remember. We don't have to get it right. What we have to do is seek to have our hearts aligned with God's heart. And then we can just say whatever is naturally coming out of us authentically. And God gets it. And we don't have to say, I mean, you, Lord, here's what I'm trying to say. Oh, I don't know. God's like, great, finally. <laughs> Some honesty. <gasps> Some honesty here. Now we can get to work. Um, there's, there's beauty. If you don't know where to start, <clears throat> and we were talking about this as a pastoral team, we just encourage you to start with who God is. If you don't know where to start when you're praying, even when you're praying for someone, just start with the character of God that you know, God's character and goodness. Let your desires and intercession flow from there. Lord, let your kingdom come. I believe that you are good. I believe you are at work in this world. I believe you're trustworthy. You're loving. You're present. Start with who God is. Release the need to dwell on, this, on the outcome. All right. Next up, we've got two more. Three more with this one. Two more after this. We're called to persistence in prayer. There's this great story. And if you've heard the, the word persistent, you know that the story that I'm talking about that Jesus tells. Um, it's, this, it's this just kind of insane story. Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 18 that there's this like kind of judge in a city that's kind of a lousy human being, to be honest. He doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about ethics. He's kind of all about himself. And this woman has been dealt with unjustly. And she gets all up in his business over and over and over again, saying, give me justice. She's knocking on his door at night. She's showing up in the midst of other court hearings. And she's saying, you can't ignore me forever. Can't ignore me forever. I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And finally this judge is like, oh, will you get away from me? Sure, I'll give it to you. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you your justice, even though I don't care about it. And Jesus says, if that kind of persistence works for someone who has no interest, think about God's heart when you cry out for justice, for the kingdom to come as a loving, caring father. He says, God will hear you. And he'll respond. Um, learn a lesson, right? You think God is going to be less trustworthy, less merciful than that guy? He will grant justice quickly. But he said, we're told that he, he told them this so that they would not give up in prayer. Like we're told explicitly. That's not a commentary. That's the sentence before the story. He told them this 
to show that they should always pray and never give up. Luke 18.1. So there's this call to be persistent. And, and again, we have to embrace the mystery here. We have to embrace the mystery. We don't know what it looks like, but we do know that Jesus calls us and invites us into this. Um, this one, and, and to be honest, this one is so true, but I'm just going to share. This is the one that y'all are going to resonate with, right? We love this one because it's so true, but it's very much about us. <laughs> and it's so true. But prayer changes us into an answer to prayer, all right? Because here's the thing. When Jesus tells his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in, in uh, Matthew 5, to pray for your enemies, to love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, all right? Something happens when you take the person that you are at odds with and you begin to pray for God's best for them. Do you know what happens? The next time that you interact with them, you start to have in your mind what's best for them. You start to see them as three-dimensional beings instead of just that horrible Facebook post that they made. You start to see them as people just like you, and you, you begin to humanize others. When Jesus tells you to pray for your enemies, he's doing it so that they one day cease to become your enemies in real life. Because when we pray for others, we begin to get the same perspective that Jesus has toward them, if it's authentic. If we are really praying for others, it is an act of love. If we really want, not for God to smack them upside the head and show them what's what, right? But if we pray that they would experience God's goodness and wholeness, then all of a sudden we begin to wonder, what does God's goodness and wholeness look like? And maybe the next chance you have an interaction, you, you play a part in that. So, um, and this is the passage I was talking about. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. So in other words, you're going to mimic me if you start to love the people who are harder to love. You'll be lined up with my heart. It's such a beautiful and maybe the hardest teaching in the entire scriptures. Um, but there's such beauty with all of that. So, so we, we sit with that and we realize that, that this is kind of a life hack <laughs> that Jesus gives us. That prayer changes us as we pray for others. It changes us into the kind of people that are the answer to their prayer, to our prayer. Um, yeah, so... Um, Praying for God's comfort for someone helps lead you to be a more non-anxious presence in their, in their presence the next time, right? Praying for, you, for God's goodness helps you line up and eventually act for someone's good. Um, yeah. I love Douglas Steer wrote a book on intersection, intercession, and, um, and he said, if we stay with a season of prayer for long enough, if we stay in a season of prayer for long enough, the things we originally put forward in our prayer have often been put aside and a whole new layer of longings for that person or that situation often emerges in their place. As we begin to pray for someone, pray for things, lean more deeply into it, we begin to realize that there's more deep things that are really the longings of God's kingdom instead of just usually it's we want their actions to change if it's praying for our enemies. But we begin to pray more and go peel off the layers and we begin to love deeper. It's amazing. All right, and then the final one that I'm just tossing out is uh, prayer is key to the gathering of God's people. I think it's really interesting the way that Jesus talks about some of this stuff. Um, in the famous passage where Jesus comes in to the temple and he chases out the money, the money changers and he flips the table, the, the statement that he says is, 
My father's house should be a house of prayer. The place that worship takes place is, is supposed to be a space of prayer. And he says, you've turned into a den of thieves and all this other stuff. Um, but, but this idea about, about having, um, having the gathering of God's people be known as a house of prayer was super important to Jesus. And we see that in, in the book of Acts, in the early church, when, when we get a glimpse of their life together, prayer is one of the big four, right? Learning, learning from the apostles' teaching, sharing life together, fellowship, eating together, and prayer. Those are the big four. So it's one of the big understandings that if God's people are dwelling together, they will be praying together. This is, this is a hallmark because it breaks down barriers within us, it keeps us centered on Jesus, and it moves us toward one another in a shared heart. And so it does something that, you know, a bunch of interesting dialogue doesn't do. That's great to learn, but then it's just about a lot of ideas. When you pray together, all of a sudden you are aligning your hearts in a different way, a deeper way. So there's, there's beauty with it. Um, okay, one word about, um, about the phrase that Jesus uses in the garden, not my will but yours be done. Beautiful, powerful phrase. I'd encourage you to incorporate that into your own prayer life with a caveat. Sometimes, if we pray for something and then end it by saying, but not my will, but yours be done, we can then talk ourselves into suggesting <clears throat> that, <clears throat> I'm sorry, into suggesting that if we don't get an answer to that prayer, that assumes that God's will was the opposite, Right? Let's go back to the really hard stuff. I'm praying for someone who is deeply ill. And I say, Lord, but not my will, but yours be done. And then that person dies. Then theologically, we decide that God's will was that that person would die. We need to disconnect that. That is not helpful theology. We are not told that everything in our world that happens, happens according to God's will. Why, why else would Jesus tell us to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth if God's kingdom was always what happens. So we need to disconnect that because it's been used to, to do deep harm and trauma. Now, if we end our prayers by saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, and what that actually means is that it's a soul-shaping way to learn to trust God and say, Lord, I want my desires to align with the priorities and the kingdom and the character that I see in you every day, I want what I want to line up with what you want. That is a beautiful heart posture. But we, we need to be really careful um, to embrace the mystery and understand that sometimes the things that happen in a broken world are not happening according to God's will. Jesus weeps during the scriptures because the world is not as it should be. So when we pray, we lean into the gift that God's given us but we understand that sometimes there is mystery and the world will still remain not as it should be, which is why we partner with action, active love in the world with our bodies to whatever, to whatever um, level we are able to. All right, so what's practical this week? Um, maybe it's one of these things that you just need to sit with, all right? Maybe there's just one. Try not to do all of them. Try not to think about all of them. It's too much. You won't be able to remember even one by the time the Eagles game starts at four. Um, so just try to stick with one. Okay. Um, practical steps. Again, these are just ideas to get the juices flowing. Right. 
The most obvious, set aside consistent time daily to pray for others, right? And not just to pray for others, specifically, and I know, I I have relationships with many of you in this room. I know that some of you are wired to sense God calling you to pray for someone. So invite God to bring to your mind someone that is heavy on your heart that you can lean into, that God's bringing, and, and take that Take that seriously. That is an act of love and service to them. And God might be inviting you to have a powerful role in their life through prayer. Um, Here we go. Ask someone to pray for you. Like, actually. Like, seek someone out and say, you know what? I would really appreciate if you would pray for me. It is an act of community and interdependence in an independent world. I would appreciate prayer about this. You don't even have to tell. Most people in this room, if you just say, can you just pray for me? That's all I can say right now, would say, of course. So you can share specifics or you can just ask someone to cover you in prayer. Remember, spirit intercedes or spirit translates. Um, Journal, write down things that right now are just longings and, and, and seek to have your heart aligned with the kingdom of God, but write those down. Make note through your week of areas where you sense God working. And another option is to seek out stories this week. If you are in a a stage where you just feel skeptical or cynical, I get that, my goodness. I've been through those stages so many times, usually multiple times each day. Uh, but, But one of the things that we can do is we can both look in the scriptures and we can read Christian uh, stories of biographies within history. Um, one of the, the guys that I have always been drawn to um, is named George Mueller. Anybody know that name? 1904, yeah? 1904, born 19, or 1804 to 1895, something like that, lived. Um, grew up really wealthy, uh, but then came to Jesus, grew up very privileged, came to Jesus, left that world behind, much to the chagrin of his dad, and began caring for orphans. But what he heard God say was, trust my open hand always. And so he, as he built up this care for these kids who were living on the street, he never once, and this is not how everybody would do it or should, but he never once asked anyone for support. He only prayed. Um, and God provided miraculously over and over again, sometimes within the hour. He kept a journal for, for 80 years, and he wrote over 500,000, believe it or not, I don't even know how you write that much, direct answers to prayer that he could chart. And, and raised what is the equivalent in our day to over $14 million to support his orphans, which was at the time, I think, $400,000 or $200,000 in the 1800s without ever asking a person for a cent. It's an incredible story, and it captivates you. But you can read other stories like this of God working that just remind us, remind us, and it, 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 there's, there's beauty, and these stories, a lot of them, now, sometimes I'm sure people make stuff up and want to, but there's a lot of reliable stories out there, too, that are worth um, exploring. So maybe it's one of these things. Also, um, I don't know where the, uh, the common prayers got to. I don't, I don't know where you've got them, Lily, but what I would love for us to do, did you put them back on the table? Wonderful. That's exactly right. So um, maybe Sean or somebody, I would encourage you as we share communion in a moment to spread those out and, and, and have them face up. And maybe there, there's no names on them. Maybe you just want to go back there this week and see something that seems to stir you and, and grab that. Grab that paper and hold on to it this week and lean in um, to intercede for that, that thing. Okay? Um, and, uh, yeah.
Yeah, and, and we just see where it goes. And we don't try to seek out the results. What we try to do is seek out God and love others. And we trust that God's goodness and God's power is actually a part of our journey as partners with God. Um, so, yeah, it's complicated. It's okay if this brings up some stuff for you because a lot of you have been through some really, really hard church experiences and theological experiences, but I invite you to have fresh faith, to step in in a fresh way. Uh, I'm going to close as we come together to Jesus, and I'll invite those who are serving. Um, if, uh, yeah, if you could open the bread, Jess, for me, and um, I believe, do we have two? Yes, wonderful. Um, as we come forward, I'll also invite you to do one more thing. I'll invite you, you know I said, uh, I'll, uh, what, was, what was the phrase from Mother Teresa? I want to get it right. Yes. Um, right, I will remember you before Jesus. I want you to bring someone with you toward Jesus here. As we center ourselves on the goodness of Jesus, is there someone that you know just might be struggling in some way? There's no, no words out loud. A family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker that you can just bring forward toward Jesus during this time. And I invite you, as you come forward, remember them before Jesus as you come toward Jesus at our center. And so, yes, um, so as we break this bread and as we remember the self-giving love of Jesus and the fact that Jesus poured his spirit out on his people, we remember that that is a part of our journey as disciples. We are spirit-dwelling people. God's spirit is in you, and that's a spirit that's powerful. And so we love others through prayer, and we trust God. So um, as the music plays, you can come down, and, and we have an open table, so anybody is welcome. If you desire to keep moving toward Jesus, then absolutely come and receive the grace of the bread and the cup. You'll hear the words of Jesus from John, the bread of life, given for you when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And you can rip off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice or the wine, or um, if you need a gluten-free option, they're on both sides of the table in small cups. Okay, but I invite you to come and be thankful and bring someone with you in your spirit toward Jesus during this time. All right, Lord, thank you for welcoming us just as we are. Thank you for inviting us to share in your spirit and to express it actively in the world. Draw us near, amen.